first to Ukraine. Here's Global's Mike Armstrong. He is in Kiev. He joined us earlier this morning from there on the morning show on Global Television, not far from where uh, missiles uh, hit yesterday. And we asked uh, Mike if you could uh, tell us more about what's going on and where you are. Yeah, it's about 50 kilometers uh, from the city of Lviv. We were out there yesterday. The latest figures we have, 35 killed, 134 injured. That number of deaths could rise. There were some pretty serious injuries. Now, according to officials here in Ukraine, about 30 missiles were fired from planes that took off at a base in Russia, about 1,500 kilometers away. Air defenses would have taken down some of the missiles, but about eight of them would have uh, hit the ground, and there was very substantial damage to that base. That base, by the way, was the International Centre for peacekeeping and security. It was the headquarters for Canadian, uh, excuse me, for Canadian um, troops when they were here for Op Unifier, the training mission in this country in recent years. President, excuse me, Prime Minister Trudeau visited actually in 2016. Why hit it now? Uh, the Russians put out a statement yesterday saying that foreign fighters were going through that base. They put out a statement claiming 180 foreign fighters would have been killed in their attack. We're hearing from Ukrainian officials today that no foreign fighters would have been killed. They're calling that number uh, from Russia simple uh, propaganda. Uh, the other thing, morale may have been an issue. There seems to be an attempt by Russia to hit uh, or show that it can hit every part of this country. There's been a feeling that Western Ukraine and Lviv in particular has sort of been a, a safer part of this country. But in recent days, we've had missile attacks to the north, the south, and now the west of here. All right. There's Global's Mike Armstrong in Kiev for us earlier. Walter Dorn is a professor of military studies and chair of the Department of Security and International Affairs at the Royal Military College and joins us now for more. Walter, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it here on this Monday. Good to be with you. All right. The Pentagon saying today that the latest round of airstrikes we just heard Mike Armstrong talking about indicates that Russia is, quote, broadening its target sets. Uh, would that be accurate? I think Russia is um, more desperate, so they're, they are broadening their target sets. Uh, the area around Lviv had been targeted in the early days of the war after February 24th, but now that there's um, a, a chain of supply coming from Europe, that is from Western Europe, um, there's a, the Russians see a need to be able to block that. And so it's a, you can say it's a natural response in a war to uh, make sure that the weapons that are coming in and, and helping people in Kiev, that that uh, supply chain is, is being knocked out. Our Ukraine's defense minister has called these uh, latest strikes, quote, a terror attack near the NATO border, and the, quote, action must be taken to stop this. Uh, what sort of action what could we maybe anticipate in the uh, coming days, if any? Well, I don't think that NATO is going to be involved. Um, if uh, one of those Russian missiles went an extra 70 kilometers and, and flew into Poland and blew up there, then you could expect that there'd be some NATO action. But until it actually, we see that there's actually an attack on NATO territory, intentional or non-intentional, I don't think that NATO will respond with military force. What will happen is that NATO nations will up their game and provide more weapons to Ukraine. And so they'll have to look for alternative routes uh, instead of uh, going uh, through the center, the International Peacekeeping and uh, Security Center. They may find other places to, to uh, use as depots for arms as they're being shipped uh, to the eastern part of the eastern half of Ukraine. Can I ask you about a no-fly zone? There's been a lot of talk about that. And could a no-fly zone have stopped uh, this latest uh, round of missile attacks, do you think? 
Uh, yes, uh, but uh, it could have resulted in a much broader war. If, uh, if, if you declare a no-fly zone, which effectively Ukraine has, but Russia is just violating, it's violating air, uh, Ukrainian airspace all the time, then you need a means to enforce it. And when we call for a no-fly zone, it usually means that NATO would enforce it, which means taking out Russian planes as well as Russian air defense systems so that, uh, that you can actually make sure you, you attain supremacy of the skies and it can't be used by Russia. And doing that would be an act of war and it would be escalatory and causing the prospect of, of the unthinkable that is a nuclear war. So that's why NATO is so hesitant and the United States in particular to uh, participating in a no-fly zone. Talk about the prospect of nuclear war with every passing day. And I know you mentioned this a second ago, Walter, uh, that Putin is becoming more and more desperate. Is he becoming more desperate with every passing day? And does that make him that desperation? Does it make him more and more dangerous, do you think? We have to worry about that, definitely. Uh, if Russia is caught in a corner, uh, they may uh, result in, in more aggressive measures. I think we're seeing that they're more desperate in the sites they attack within Ukraine. They are attacking more civilian targets, um, and th their forces on the ground are, are, are really limited in what they can do. They, they haven't been able to capture a, a major Ukrainian city yet. Mariupol is still holding out. Kharkiv, only 10 kilometers from the Russian border, is still holding out. And Kiev, it's, uh, they haven't even been able to encircle the city. They've only got the, the northern, northern sections. So I think that it's really uh, Russia's desperate. And with somebody like Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin, we have to be concerned. And that may mean giving some sort of out, you know, that, that the Russians can withdraw with an with ounce of dignity um, and some way that they can declare that, that they achieve something. But at the same time, um, you can't allow Russia to succeed in Ukraine. Joined by Walter Dorn, Professor of Military Studies at the Royal Military College. Uh, Walter, another round of diplomatic talks between Ukraine and Russia. They were put on pause or on hold until Tuesday. Is there still hope that this can be resolved diplomatically, do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only solution from either side is diplomatic solution. There's no military win. The Ukrainians can't win militarily against the huge Russian military forces. Um, they And the Russians can't win against the Ukrainians because they're so determined to resist um, any capture. Uh, and so I think that we, we're going to see a stalemate on the battlefield and there will have to be a negotiated settlement. So that's in weeks, months to come. Um, but I think that both sides will, especially the Russian side, will have to realize that they cannot achieve their military objectives and that this is going to be have to solve some sort of negotiation. All right. Meantime, while well, Ukraine and Russia are set to meet again tomorrow, there are reports that U.S. and Chinese officials are meeting and the U.S. warning China against helping Russia evade sanctions. Wondering what can be done there. I mean, do sanctions, do you think, do they need to extend to China as well if they're aiding and abetting Russia? Yeah, to have real impact, uh, you'll have to have the Chinese government um, at least not try and evade the sanctions in a blatant fashion. Um, be, there will be all kinds of issues coming up. Um, we, we know that uh, when the U.S. imposes sanctions, as they did on Iran, that it can implicate Chinese firms, as we saw with uh, the arrest in Canada and Vancouver uh, of the chief financial officer of Huawei. And so there, there are various means the U.S. can exert on China to prevent them from evading U.S. sanctions 
But at the same time, um, there are there's a partnership between the leaders, Xi Jinping of China and Vladimir Putin of Russia, and they work together at the opening of the Olympics. And they uh, there's some sort of understanding between them. So we're seeing the Chinese not outright criticizing the invasion, but rather uh, calling for a diplomatic settlement. And I think that uh, as the pressure is put on by the West and by most of the world, there's 141 nations that voted uh, to condemn the Russian invasion in the General Assembly of the UN. As the pressure increases, we have to make sure that there aren't uh, spoilers who can try and create avenues for Russia to um, move its funds, uh, move its gas and, and other uh, commodities in a way that that undermines the sanctions. And so those are very important conversations going on between uh, the U.S. And, and China now. So could we expect, you think, maybe in the coming days, uh, sanctions extend uh, beyond uh, Russia, extend to China, and maybe any others who might be uh, helping, aiding and abetting again uh, Russia, that we could see kind of worldwide sanctions uh, against the likes of China? Right. We we. We have to be careful about that because uh, we don't want to get into a trade war with with China and which the whole global economy would suffer. But at the same time, there will be very strategic points where uh, Western governments will want to make sure that that Russia really is feeling the hurt. And so um, I I don't think there will be broad sanctions against China, but there'll be some some pinching going on. And I think that will be necessary. All right. Just finally, President Zelensky is set to address the House of Commons tomorrow. What should Canadians expect to hear from the leader of Ukraine? Oh, a call for uh, support for the many Ukrainians in Canada, an expression of gratitude for the support that's been provided so far and wanting more weapons from the Canadian government. We are now providing some um, various forms of weapons that the Ukrainian forces can use against the Russians. And we will they'll want to up that so that we they they get more weapons um, and more support. They're asking for everything from uh, helmets to um, support for the civilian populations, uh, humanitarian aid. The corridors are working in some cases in Ukraine and and, and getting those in. Um, having NGOs uh, support the effort to to uh, both in Poland and in neighboring uh, European countries to have the, that effort ramp up so that the, um, the, the fighters inside Ukraine uh, will are sure that their families are safe, uh, whether they be in other parts of Ukraine, mostly Western Ukraine, but also in, uh, in Europe and, and actually in Canada, helping with, with uh, sending families to Canada and welcoming them here. All right. Have to leave it there for now. Walter, really appreciate your insights and your time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Walter Dorn is a professor of military studies, chair of the Department of Security and International Affairs at the Royal Military College. And we're back after this. You're listening to The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.